took the course. Um, it just fueled my momentum to get out of debt um, and to just change my life. Um, and I can say that after 16 months of part-time jobs, working hard, saving money wherever I could, I am now debt-free. We're doing this so we could change our family tree, so our kids wouldn't have the struggles that we had. You can't even describe it, the kind of freedom that comes with, you know, not owing anyone a dime. After taking the class, I really understood what Dave meant by living like no one else today so you can live like no one else later. Hey, Seacoast, it's time to celebrate. We've been blessed to hear so many stories of life change and financial freedom from those of you who've taken part in Financial Peace University. And we're praising God. We're hoping that you're gonna keep the stories coming in. We never get tired of hearing about God at work in your lives. Today, we've got the creator of Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, here with us to spur us on. He's a great example of God just working all things together for the good of those who love him and God really doing immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I want to congratulate you guys at Seacoast for deciding to live like no one else so that later you can live and give like no one else. You're moving into a new year, and now you got a clear goal and the tools to reach it. There are no shortcuts when it comes to getting out of debt. You can't be in debt and win. That's good. So, so based on the financial snapshot of the first course that we held this past year at Seacoast, we figured there's over $300 million in personal debt, non-mortgage for those who attend our church. And that means a lot of people are still being held back from all that God has ready and waiting. But you've taken that crucial first step. And I love how you've started your kids off early, teaching them how to handle money. You're living out Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You're handing your kids the great tools for a better future. That's awesome. You know, we've had over 1,400 elementary age students that have gone through Piggy Bank University and over a 1,000 of our students through Generation Change. Well, thanks to all the leaders and the facilitators for making that happen. You know, we couldn't do it without you. That means this morning that you could ask your neighbor sitting next to you for a loan and the chances are they'd be able to give it to you a little bit. So. <laughs> I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And also I wanted to mention that um, if, if you want to get involved in Financial Peace University, there are new classes that are starting. In fact, at every campus there's all kind of small groups. Uh, that are getting started. It's a Connect Weekend, and so your campus pastor will tell you a little bit about uh, how you can get involved. Get, get connected. You'll never really know what life at Seacoast is like until you connect into a small group, and so I want to challenge you to do that. This weekend, we also honor uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, who paved the way with his courage uh, for more freedom for many people. I love a lot of his quotes. The older I get, the more I appreciate uh, what he, who and what he was, but 
Um, one of my favorite ones is darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's profound. And we have seen really the embodiment of that uh, at Mother Emmanuel over this last uh, two years here in Charleston. And you're living a part of history. And so take some time this weekend to just reflect on that. Also want to celebrate three brand new life-giving churches. You know, we plant churches uh, almost every weekend, especially during this uh, season. And there's a brand new church, real church as opposed to fake church. I don't name them, folks. I just help to get them going. Uh, Gunnersville, Alabama, Hillside Church, San Juan Capistrano, California, and Radiant Church in downtown Tampa. If you know anybody in those areas, you can go on arcchurches.com and uh, find out more information about new churches that are starting. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever experienced what's called post-adrenaline blues? Anybody know anything about that? Anybody? Let me give you an example. Uh, so the, remember the wedding? The one that either you were in or you paid for? Um, and you planned and you planned and you planned and it was exciting and we had all of this adrenaline going and we had the band and the, you know, the dancing and the food and the party and it was so awesome until like Monday or Tuesday and then it was not awesome. You remember that? Anybody remember those? Or maybe it was the Clemson game on Monday. Alabama fans knew I was going to mention that, didn't you? Even though I'm a Gamecock fan, but I love South Carolina, so I'm okay with Clemson. And so anyway, so man, it stayed up way late, and then the next day, it's like, whoa, you know. Uh, I was reading about a, um, a syndrome, a, what do they call it, the January doldrums. Anybody familiar with that? January doldrums, especially if you've lived in a colder climate. You know, you've got Christmas and New Year's and all this stuff going on, and then you've, you've got New Year's resolutions, and you've had all the hope, and you're gaining weight on, on a fast, and, uh, you know, it's just like, it's like middle of January, and it's, oh, man, you know, just the, kind of the, kind of the doldrums a little bit. Well, I got to tell you, and you ask yourself, why am I feeling so bad when I should be feeling great? Well, I got to tell you, I feel that way every Sunday afternoon after preaching, um, I will preach four, four services this weekend. We'll have dozens of services at the campuses. Most of them are video. I do four live. And at the end of four live services, you would think that after experiencing the presence of God and the incredible worship and being used by God to preach and seeing all you guys, you ought to feel great, right? You know what I'm going to want to do this afternoon? Watch a violent movie. <laughs> and you think I'm kidding. And Debbie goes, you are, you're worthless, son. So, and you just think all kinds of crazy, crazy thoughts. You know, you just, you, it's usually temporary, but we feel miserable. We're depleted, dissatisfied, prone to questioning everything about our lives. And can I warn you, you can make some really foolish decisions when you're experiencing this. So don't, don't make any decisions. This too will pass. Well, why do I talk about that? Well, there's a major character. We're, we're reading through the Bible together right now, right? You guys doing that? It's kind of fun and talking to each other in the foyer and people are having questions. Well, what about that? I never read this, you know. What about this? It's great. It's great stuff. And so, and so this past week, the beginning of the week, in Genesis 15, there was a story of a character 
Abram that had a serious case of post-adrenaline blues. And we find him sitting in a tent. He's a Bedouin. They lived in tents. He's sitting in his tent, a little bigger than this. This is like a half-man tent. I was going to say a one-man, but it'd be hard to lay down in there. I don't know what they use these for. <laughs> yes, I do, but my wife told me not to say it. So anyway, <laughs> so, so he's sitting in his tent. He's sitting in his tent, and he's just kind of vegging out. He's feeling blue. And we find it in Genesis 15 and verse 1. It says, after this, after, after what? Good way to really get more out of the word is to, whenever it says after this, to go back and read what was it that happened before. And after this was a major victory in his life. And he's feeling the blues. Just to go back to review a little bit about Abram, um, the story of his life, just a short, short uh, kind of synopsis is God calls Abram on an incredible journey. He's living in a town, and God says, I want you to follow me. Abandon this, take your family, follow me, and I've got some great things for you. In fact, in Genesis 12 and verse 2, he says, I will make you, God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. What an incredible thing. He says, you just follow me. I'll make your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing among all people, and anybody that blesses you will be blessed. And so he follows God, and he takes his family, and he arrives at the destination, and sure enough, he begins to be blessed, and he has, uh, you know, lots of cattle and uh, servants and all of this, and his grandson, uh, Lot, had come with him. His name was Lot, and he was blessed too, and there wasn't room for both of them in the same piece of ground. You read that, and so they separated a little bit, and Lot went to Sodom, and there were four kings that came and had war on Sodom and hauled them away. And to know the story, went to Israel a couple of years ago, and, and where Sodom was is in this kind of south-central part of Israel, and these kings carried them away clear to the northern part. In fact, some of them were from Damascus, as far as Damascus, Syria. And so Abram gathers together um, a, a group of his guys, 318 special forces guys. And these are like army ranger, navy seal guys. And they chase these four kings up to the northern part of Israel, and he wins a battle. It's incredible, incredible. Rescues Lot and all of his stuff and the families that were with him. And he starts to become famous in the area. And so it's a great victory. And he should be feeling good, right? But this verse finds him sitting, in, you mind if I go in the tent? Finds him sitting in a tent. He's just in there, and he's just feeling sorry for himself and feeling bad, you know, this. Just, it's just not good. I mean, yesterday he was, a, he was a warrior. You guys see it all right over here, up on the screen? Yesterday he was a warrior doing awesome things, and today he's just an old guy doing honeydews for Sarah, you know. And Sarah says, you need to... You need to rake the sand. It's looking bad there. If you get around to it, why don't you wash the donkey? And by the way, the camel left a surprise on the back porch back there. You need to get that done. And he's thinking, I'm worked more than this. And, and then this adrenaline thing. What, what did you guys see all right over here? Then this 
Stay with me, okay, good. Then this adrenaline thing kicks in. When it kicks in, it's this, this, this fight or flight, you know, and you've felt it, you know, and, you, and it's, a, it's given by God. But after the threat's over, it doesn't go away automatically, and your brain just keeps going and keeps going. Some of you know that at night your brain's going, and, and you're just thinking of worst-case scenarios, you know. He's thinking about these kings, you know, I, we beat them, and that was amazing, but what if they regather and they come back? Just all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of thoughts. He's, he's, he's discouraged, and he's got the blues, and then it says that the word of the Lord came to him. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, don't be afraid. Isn't it amazing that God knew what he was thinking about? God knew his address. He knew his situation and had a word in season. And guess what? God knows you. God knew you were going to be here today. And I think that if you'll listen clearly, regardless of where you are, that God will have a word for you. He's like that. He says to Abram, don't be afraid. How could you have known that he was afraid after winning such a battle? In fact, God goes on to say, here's why you shouldn't be afraid. He says, I am your shield. It's like God's saying, I got your back. Abram, you know, how do you think you won that battle with 318 guys? It wasn't just you. I've got your back. If they come back, I've got more of that. Then he not only says, I'm your shield, but he says, I'm your very great reward. In other words, I got, I've got a future for you. I got some really good things in store for your future. Because sometimes when you're feeling the blues, anybody here ever felt the blues at all? Okay, some of you feeling the blues now? Okay, if you're not feeling it now, you will soon. Okay, it's just life. It's life and it comes and goes. When you're feeling the blues, you kind of, it's like, oh, maybe my de be best days are behind me, you know? Maybe my best work is behind me. God says, no, I'm not only your shield, but I am your very great reward. I got some really good things in store for your future. And then we get a glimpse into how Abram's really feeling. It says, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, circle sovereign Lord on there. I'm gonna circle around back to that in just a few minutes. It says, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar, of Damascus, Abram said, you've given me no kids, no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. What's he thinking about? He's thinking about his demise. He remembers the promise that God had given him, that you're gonna be a, a great nation, and you're gonna be blessed, and you're gonna be a blessing to a lot of people. And he's thinking, you know what? I could die at any point. Nearly died in the battle. They could come back and get me, and I wouldn't have anybody to leave my estate to except for my number one servant, Eleazar, he's questioning God. You know what he's doing? He's stressing it himself out, trying to figure out how to make God's will happen. He heard God's will, and now he's stressing himself out, trying to make it happen. He's got a plan. Have you ever done that? Have you ever stressed yourself out trying to figure out how to make God's will happen? Well, God responds to Abram's blues, and in God's response to Abram, we can find answers to our blues too. And so I wanna, I wanna give you three things that we can learn, whether you're there or not. We can learn these three things uh, about how we respond at this time of the year, 
to challenges that come into our lives. And here's the first one, and it's this, it's very important. Remember that God has a plan even when you can't see it. Remember that God has a plan even when you can't see it. Would you maybe cross out even and put especially when you can't see it? You ever had a time like that? You, you thought God had a plan, but, but you, can't, you can't remember. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, this man's not going to be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. It's like God saying to Abraham, that's what you were thinking? Seriously? Eleazar? Dude, I got a better plan than that. Come on. I got, I've, I've got something for you. In the future, I've got this. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do is just chill. <laughs> just chill. Let God have it. The challenge is, is to say, God, I don't understand it, but, but I'm going to trust you in this. Earlier in the conversation, Abram addresses God as sovereign Lord. You circle that. What does that mean? Sovereign is a theological term that literally means um, it's the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control, and nothing happens without his direction or permission, okay? God's got this. Um, I like to say, if you've been around here very long, I like to say that um, because of the sovereignty of God and his omniscience, that God's never had a day where he said, gee, I didn't see that coming. Wow, that's a surprise. My bad, my bad. Sorry, Abe, my bad. I forgot about that. No, no, God, God has a plan. He's, even when we can't see it, especially when we can't see it, that's hard. That's really hard for some of us because you may have had something happen in your family that was devastating. So really, that's God's will? No, I didn't say that. But it is part of his plan. Maybe not his direct involvement, but he allowed it somehow. That's hard. Scriptures like Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good. It doesn't say everything is good. But it says God in his sovereignty weaves everything together. I don't know how that works. I know that God is good. And I know that he weaves all things together into his plan for you. And I know that, that if I can just trust, and that's a hard one, just, just trust that, that God will, God's got my back on this, and God is my sword and my shield. And the hardest time to do that, to remember that, is when you can't see it. But he's always working his will. There is never a time in your life that God is not at work in your life. You've got to trust it. Now, there are two parts to God's sovereignty at work here. The first one is God's plan. God's plan. And the second one is God's timing. God's timing. Have you ever been frustrated with God's timing and tried to help him out with his plan? Anybody <laughs> ever done that? How'd that work for you? Worked pretty good? Yeah, maybe it, uh, you fudged on your resume. You ever done that? No, don't, don't raise your hand. But you put a little more on the resume that actually should be there. I have a theory on why we do that, or even why we're tempted to do that. You know what it is? It's this. This is the job. This is the thing I've been praying for. This is God's will for my life. So I got to help him out on it. 
right? Because I can't trust God that if it is his will and the right job, that he can make it happen, okay? Or it works in relationships too. <laughs> She's the one I know she is. Or he's the guy, I know he's the guy. Warning flags going out all over the place, everywhere. But you're ignoring them, why? Because I know this is God's will and I gotta help him out on this, right? I mean, it, it happens everywhere. You're hiring somebody and, you, and you're, you've been praying, you gotta have the right person for your ministry or for your job or whatever. And I know this is the right guy. Have you checked the background checks? Ah, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. <laughs> Call the last place. Why? Why don't we? Because we want to help God out. Do you get that? We, God has a plan, and I want to help him out. Have you ever tried to force something to happen because it wasn't on your timetable? Anybody ever done that? You know, I, I remember buying Christmas gifts for the kids growing up, and the uh, biggest lie in the world is this, some assembly needed or required, <laughs> right? And, and if you're ever there, these days what I do is I fork out the 25 bucks to have somebody, or it's 50 now, to have, but it's the best 50 spent. Even if the thing only costs 40, pay somebody 50 bucks to put it together. And, and if you ever try to put something together, you know that an engineer somewhere, God bless you engineers, I love you, you're wonderful. But in a cubicle somewhere, an engineer figured out that these two parts fit together only if they fit just like this, then it's real easy to twist it and it goes. You understand what I'm saying? And so what do you do? It doesn't go, and so you do what? Force it, which ends up in what? It breaks. Because here's the principle of life. Anything you force breaks. Okay? And when you try to force something into what you think is God's will, because you're helping them out here, and it's not working smoothly, and so you force it because it doesn't happen on your timetable. It almost always breaks. And in Abraham's life, we see it in the very next chapter. Because once you get through kind of one you know, testing of your faith. There's like another one that comes. And in the next chapter, Abram tries to help God with, with his plan by having a son through somebody who wasn't his wife. And it broke something that still causes problems to this day. You want to know a little bit about what goes on in the Middle East? Just take a look at Genesis 16 and 17. So the question is, is there something in your life that you're trying to force because you're frustrated with God's timing? I want to challenge you. God's speaking to some of you right now. You need to take a deep breath, okay? Relax. God's got your back. He's your shield. He's got you covered in the future, even when you can't see it, okay? Here's second, the here's second principle we can learn from this passage, is that in order to see what could be, sometimes you've got to get away from what has been. In order to see what could be, You've got to get away from what has been. Next verse, he took him outside. Outside of what? The tent. Now think about this. It's the voice of the Lord. There's room, even in a small tent like this. There's room for both Abraham and the voice of the Lord in there. Would you agree with that? Why did God take Abraham outside? It's Abram at that point. For those of you who are theologians and want to be correct on it. He hadn't changed his name yet. But he takes him 
outside. Why doesn't he just give them the word of the Lord in the tent? Because the tent represents the daily grind of his life. In the tent, there's a lid on the tent. There's a lid on what Abram can see about himself and the future. How many of you know that sometimes you just need to get some fresh air and take a walk? Have you ever been like that at work? You're stumped, you're frustrated, whatever. Best thing you can do is get up, forget the timetable, and let's go take a fresh walk because you get fresh perspective. And Abram brings God, or God brings Abram outside of the tent and said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. God takes him outside. In fact, in another passage, it says he told him to look at the sand, count the grains of sand, count the stars. It's almost as if, look, look at there, there's your son, grandson, granddaughter, great, all of this. You can look at, God wants him to look up rather than look down. He wants him to see fresh vision, and he gives him some vision handles and vision reminders, but he can't see the stars inside of the tent. And so he says, Sometimes you've got to get away from what has been in order to see what could be. Maybe God wants to do that with you. I remember the early days of Seacoast. Do we have anybody here that was here in the first five years of Seacoast? First five years. Okay, wow. Yeah, first five years, first five years. Okay, those were great years in some way. They were challenging years in others. You guys have heard the story a little bit, but let me tell you again because a good story is worth hearing 30 or 40 times. <laughs> so, so we called 16,000 homes that lived east of the Cooper. That was everybody that lived over here. That was Isle of Palms, uh, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, you know. And uh, Mount Pleasant. It's been a long day, okay? And so uh, Sullivan's Island. Can't say it because I think of Sullivan's seafood and I love it and I don't want to be thinking about that right now. I fast. <laughs> So, so we called 11,000, 16,000 homes, actually. And just asked them, do you attend church? If you don't, why do you think people don't? Invited them to church. And, uh, and that first week in the theater, we had 340 people. It was incredible. Full-up theater, absolutely. I mean, it was wonderful. The presence of God, oh, it was great. And then came the post-adrenaline blues. The next week, we had half that many people, and then it got less than that, less than that. And the goal at church is to reach more people, right? In the first three years, every year, we reached less people than the year before. If you were a manager in a business, you would have fired me. And you would have been wrong, okay? I'm just <laughs> telling you that. And three years. Let's see the results. There aren't any. In fact, there are less people now than there was last year. That's the way it went. Five years. Finally, by the fifth year, I remember the Sunday we had the same number of people we had on the first day. Oh, God. What are we going to do with all these people? There's four kids in the nursery. My goodness, it's crowded. Nobody else is going to come, you know. And I remember what I did. I felt a nudging of God. You need to get out of your tent because you're going to need to get away from what has been in order to see what I have for you in the future. So I went out to the beach. And uh, the beach is kind of like where Abraham was, sand and 
stars and all of that. I don't think it was sunshine, daytime. How do you know that you can see more out there? It's just like, you hear the tide roll. I love beaches except for the sand. Anybody else here like that? And so, and so, and so, and so I began to, I, I began to think, and I prayed, and I prayed a prayer that I pray, and almost every prayer, you hear it, every prayer, may your kingdom come. I think that's one of the first times I prayed that way. May your will be done. I pray it all the time now. Because I prayed out there at the beach, and I prayed like this. I said, God, if your will was being done perfectly on earth in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, Charleston area, as it's being done in heaven, what would that look like? And please show me that. Give me a plan. Give me a plan. And the, the number 2,000 dropped into my spirit and my heart. It was 1993. I thought, what if over the next seven years we could reach 2,000 people for Jesus. Well, we had nothing in our background that said that was going to happen, okay? We had five years of futility. 1988, we started. This is 1993. But what if we could get out of the tent away from what has been so that we could see what could be? I wrote it down. Man, I wrote it down. The Bible says to write the vision down. I wrote pages and pages and pages of what, what, what would that look like and how many, uh, you know, uh, small group leaders would we need and how many uh, Kids Coast workers would we need, and all of this, and we had nothing, you know, that said that that, it was just faith, just faith, just faith. And obviously, God blessed that. It grew well, 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 well beyond that. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about some of you who are church leaders or business leaders. You just might need to, best use of your time this week would be to get a day where you got out of the tent and you got out where you could see the future. And it might save you thousands of dollars and thousands of man, man hours just to get a fresh vision. Thought about those of us who are married, you need that. It's wonderful being married, but does it ever get like stressful and like the same old, same old? Don't raise, don't even think about raising your hand. <laughs> just listen to me here a minute. You need to get out of the tent. That's why we have date nights. That's why we have like quarterly getaways. That's why we do marriage retreats. We've got a marriage retreat coming on. I challenge every married couple to go to the marriage retreat. In fact, I think we've got unitemarriageconference.com. You can get on your phone and, and sign up. You need to do that. Why? Because it's at those times that God speaks to us that we see more clearly what the future could be. It happens every year. So you got to get out of the tent, and 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 uh, sometimes in order to see what could be, you got to get outside of what has been. Remember what that God has a plan, even when you can't see it. Very quickly, let me give you the third one: what God has for you can only be seen with eyes of faith. What God has for you can only be seen with eyes of faith. Next verse. Let's read this one out loud. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. That's called faith. This Christmas we gave some of our kids reality, virtual reality things. Have you seen these? This is the hottest thing this year. They'll set them on the, they'll never use them. But we bought them anyway. There are expensive ones of these. This is not one of those. You can pay four or $500. I think I paid 50 bucks. It's because there's nothing in it. <laughs> you put your iPhone here, the kids can buy their own iPhone. You know that. 
And then the, the, I'm not talking grandkids, I'm talking regular kids. And then you have to buy programs. That's their deal. I, I gave them this. But with one program. And so, and so they, were, they put these on at Christmas. It was a blast. I'm not going to put the whole thing on because it will look ridiculous. But it's like this. And I can't see anything in here right now because I don't have anything going on. But they would put programs in there. And it'd be like, I remember that one of them had a shark program where they were in a shark tank. They were doing this. <gasps> oh, there's sharks coming. And somebody else had a roller coaster. He had his hands up like this and just doing all this kind of stuff. And it looked absolutely ridiculous. But here's the principle. There are some things you can't see without these glasses. That's all I could see. And in God's economy, there are things he wants to show you that you can't see without your faith goggles. You just can't see. You can't experience without faith. It says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, in our culture, money is the medium of exchange. If you go to a restaurant today, you'll give them some cash, pop a credit card on the counter because that's what we pay with. In God's economy, faith is the medium of exchange. It's trusting that God is who he said he was and is and will do what he said he would do. And in the long run, faith is your most valuable asset. Faith is the most valuable thing that you have. Now, what I love about faith is Hebrews 11 and verse 1 and 2 says this. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Who are the ancients? It's Abraham, okay? He was commended because he couldn't see, but he had confidence. He had faith in what God had showed him. And maybe you have a sense of what God wants to do in your life, in relationships, your business, and your church, but it doesn't happen on your timetable. What do you do? What do you do? It's a crucial point. Here's what, here's what most of us do. We feel frustrated. You ever feel frustrated because of God's timing? And so what do we do? Frustration can be an indicator on the uh, dashboard of your soul that you're not in faith. And you're probably getting ready to break something. Okay? So you need to understand that. When you're frustrated, you're probably getting ready to break something. While faith, when substituted for frustration, stares in the face of contradictory evidence and declares that God will do what he's promised. We read the last verse that I want to read from the Old Testament. Now we're going to read that story from the New Testament because it records it a little bit differently. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, it says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. I love that. In hope, against hope. Against all hope, he believed. In hope, became the father of many nations. 1965, Admiral James Stockdale was shot down while flying a mission over Vietnam. He later became president of Citadel for a short time. He was also a vice presidential candidate with Ross Perot. But he was shot down and mercilessly tortured as a prisoner for the next seven and a half years in the infamous hotel or Hanoi Hilton prison. Every day, just think about that, seven and a half years. Just about every day they would come and beat him, torture him. Broke his leg when he came out of the plane in 
Nobody, nobody fixed it. In fact, they didn't fix it. They would manipulate it in order to bring him pain. Never walked the way that he was created to. He said this in a business book by Jim Collins, Good to Great. A lot of you have read that. Collins writes about a conversation that he had with the admiral to uh, say, what, what was it? What was his coping strategy during this period in the POW camp? He said this. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I love that. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining moment of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. That in itself is enough, but that's not the whole story. Collins asked him who didn't make it out of Vietnam. I was surprised by his answer. He said, oh, that's easy. The optimists didn't make it out. I would have thought the pessimists, they didn't either, but he emphasizes the optimists. He said, they were the ones who said, we're gonna be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come, and Christmas would go, and then they'd say, we're gonna be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and then they died of a broken heart. He said, this is a very important lesson. You never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to control the most brutal, or confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. Collins called that the Stockdale principle, or paradox, which is to survive, you have to have optimism as well as realism. You have to believe that you will make it, but at the same time realize that along the way things won't always go as planned. You're gonna have setbacks and storms and tough times, things that will make you cry and things that you don't understand. Well, Abram had an incredible mix of realistic optimism. It says in the next part of the verse in Romans 19, 4.19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And that's why it was credited to him as righteousness. So let me ask you, are there some things in your life that you need to against hope, in hope, believe? Maybe it has to do with your kids. Maybe it has to do with your financial situation. Maybe it has to do with your career. Martin Luther King Jr. said, faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. I love that. Gotta take a step. Take a faith, a faith step without weakening in your faith. Acknowledge the difficulty that you face, the storm that you're in, the potential pitfalls ahead, and you stand resolute that God has the power to get you through, that Jesus will stand with you in the storm. That's what I love about the gospel. Jesus is realistic. He said, you're gonna have trouble in this world. Just because you have trouble doesn't mean you're out of my will. You might be in the very center of my will. I'll be there with you in the storm. I'll pick you up when you fall down. I'll walk with you when you're discouraged. 
You're going to make it. You are going to make it. I don't care what you're going through right now. You're going to make it. Don't ever lose faith in the end of the story. And so when you got the blues, remember three things. God has a plan for you, especially when you can't see it. In order to see what could be, you're probably going to need to get away what, from what has been. You might need to get out of the tent. And what God has for you can only be seen through eyes of faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Wonderful group. God, we're excited about you and what you're doing in our lives. Some of us are going through some pretty big challenges right now. Some of us have a little bit of the blues. God, today I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. Right here in this service, wherever we happen to be, on earth, as it's done in heaven. And God, we just come to you. We're going to take the next few minutes just to seek you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.